And actually, this is cool. Before we kind of launch into this passage, uh, I just wanted to say, since I have the opportunity to say this to you, uh, right now in Basalt, Colorado, another alumni from this church is covering for me, Chris Winnegar. He's an associate pastor down in Denver now. And um, so it's kind of fun just to have this picture of those that have come through this church and are now serving all over the country and even the world, like Mario. Um, this is a unique church. You guys have a special thing going on here. And you, you may know this, but part of the mission of this church is to be a sending church. People are going to come here, whether it's because of RUF or Trinity or um, just the North Shore in general being near Chicago. They're going to come here and they're going to spend formative years here. And then God, by God's design, he's going to move them on. But this can be a hard thing while you're here in the church. It can feel like a revolving door. But as a beneficiary of this community, and I know many others like me, I just want to tell you that this is a gift and that the DNA that's going on in this church right here needs to be spread around the world because you guys have a really good thing going on here. And so uh, I know it can be hard, but um, I am the recipient of that gift, and I know that many others are too. And so this is a church that's good for God's global church around the world. So I just want to say thank you guys for being that kind of community, and thank you for having me back. I, I absolutely love being here every time I'm here. It's, it's really fun to reconnect with you guys. Okay, so my beautiful wife, who is currently driving all my children across the country, without me. Uh, we were married um, when I was 24 years old, and we were pregnant with our first child when I was 25. Okay, so remember yourself at the age of 25. I was just like that too. Totally unprepared for anything like parenting real live human children. Okay, so when you become pregnant, you have all these important decisions to make, and one of the first major ones is what you're going to name your child. And so I'm 25. So up until that point, every major decision I've come up to in my life, I did one thing, and I just did that again because it worked out so far more or less. I turned to my college buddies, and I said, guys, what should I do? How should I name, <laughs> how should I name a child? And then they turned around and did what they always do when something important came up. They came up with 64 options and put it into a March Madness-style single elimination <laughs> bracket tournament and we had pairings of names that we voted on and discussed for months and months. This took a really, really long time. And so we finally narrowed it down to the final four. And my friends are super weird. And here are the final four names that emerged that they believed I should name my child. Archimedes Miedema. <laughs> Bort Miedema. Um, this one's the weirdest. The baby formerly known as Fetus Miedema. <laughs> And then Miedema, Miedema, okay? <laughs> final four. Or after months of work, that was the final four. Okay. Now, I love these guys dearly. I trust them with my life. I just don't trust them with my child's name, it turns out. So Janet and I, obviously, went a different direction on this one, all right? So instead of picking one of those four, we decided that we wanted, when we named our children, we wanted to instill some of our hopes and, and some of our prayers into their names. So Hudson Taylor, you may know, was a great missionary to China. Uh, he had a deep well of faith in God. He took risks for the kingdom. Whether our Hudson becomes a missionary or not isn't the point. The point is that we pray his life reflects some of those qualities that his name carries. Faith in God, boldness for the gospel, a love 
for the lost. Um, and I'm wondering, do you know the story behind your name? Does it have a story? Why were you named what you were named? Uh, maybe it's something to discuss afterwards with your family. But uh, even if your name doesn't have a story behind it, even if it doesn't have a deeper naming, uh, meaning when it was given, by now, as you live out your life, you have filled your name with meaning. Your name represents you. It's your identifier in the world. When people hear your name, what do they think? What does your name mean out there in the world? Um, the names carry meaning. It sets us apart. It defines us. But it also it's an identifier for who we are. This is true today. It's even more true in the ancient world. In biblical times, names were more than something that set you apart for others. They were almost like destinies. So a name was not only what you were called, it said something essential about who you were, your character, your trajectory through life. Your name, in many ways, was your nature. So knowing the weight that a name carried in biblical times, I want us to consider this passage this morning from Genesis 32. Just to set the scene, this is the famous encounter that Jacob had with God. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Abraham is his grandpa. Esau is his twin brother, but older brother. And if you remember, Jacob tricked and deceived his way into inheriting the birthright and the blessings that were due to his older brother Esau. And Esau, in return, swore to kill Jacob the next time he saw him. Once, once our father's dead, you're dead. So Jacob flees. He stays away for decades, probably 20 years. And he's now on his way back to meet Esau for the first time since he fled. And the night before the two brothers meet again, this is what happens. Okay? Genesis 32. That same night, he arose. He took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so one of the tenderest moments in Jacob's life, the night before his reckoning with his past, while he finds himself totally alone, only with his thoughts, God comes to meet him, and he asks a question. What is your name? Before looking at this encounter in a little more depth, I want us to notice how God even begins the encounter with Jacob. The Bible it is filled with our questions for God. As you guys read through the Psalms, I hope you recognize that. The psalmists are constantly like crying out questions to God, even doubts to God. Like, wait, are you allowed to say that to God? Yes. It's filled with our questions to God. The Bible is filled with God's answers to us. 
teaches us how to live a life of faithfulness and hope and trust in a wild world, but the Bible is also filled with God's questions to us. Have you noticed that before? If you read through the Bible, you will notice that God is constantly asking us questions. Why? He doesn't need any more information about you. God knows you better than you know yourself. So why is he asking questions of us? I think it's because God is not looking for more information, but he's looking for a deeper relationship that leads to our transformation. So he is beginning a conversation with us out of grace, out of care, and he wants to deepen the conversation. He wants to draw us more out into a relationship with him because that's where change happens. And God asks the best questions, not because he needs more information, but to draw us into a relationship that changes our lives. So God asked Jacob this question at the tenderest moment of his life. What's your name? Who are you really? When it comes down to it, who are you? And there are two answers given in this passage, two names. One name is given by Jacob. One name is given by God. I want us to consider both of what these answers mean, not only for Jacob, but especially for us today. So the man Jacob wrestles with in the night, we learn by the end of the encounter, is God himself. He asks, what's your name? And Jacob answers, Jacob. Seems simple enough. Unless you've been following the story of Jacob's life so far in Genesis, and you realize there's actually a lot more going on with his name than meets the eye. Jacob has basically been wrestling with his own name since he was born. The name Jacob means deceiver. It means cheat. It means liar. It means, uh, technically, the literal translation is to grab someone heel, someone's heel to try to, to try to trip them up. And from the beginning, this name has been his nature. This is what identifies Jacob in a crowd, but it's also how he interacts with everybody. It's his character. It's how he relates. Jacob and Esau were twins. When Esau was born first, Jacob came next, grabbing onto the heel of his brother, already trying to trip him up in life, all right? When Jacob and his mom, Rebekah, conspire to steal the blessing from Esau by impersonating him in front of his blind father, Jacob was dressed up in this, in this fur to pretend to be Esau. He's living in another person's skin, not only deceiving his father, but uncomfortable in his own skin. He's wrestling against his own identity. Later, Jacob is tricked by his father-in-law Laban into marrying Leah uh, instead of Rachel, the real love of his life, only to return the favor by tricking Laban out of the best of his flock of herds of sheep later in life. For his whole life, Jacob has wrestled with his name. He embodies it, certainly. It seems to be in his very nature to cheat, to deceive, but he also wants to avoid owning up to it. He's hiding. He's living in another person's skin. He, he's always running away from the latest deceit and trickery onto the next deceit and trickery. And here, we meet him in this passage in Genesis 32, running from Laban, who he most recently deceived, but running back towards Esau, who he deceived at the beginning of his life. And it feels like the trap is finally closing. It feels like he will finally be revealed for who he is, and he'll have to own up to who he is. Jacob is trapped between his recent past and his distant past, and it's about to close. 
So when Jacob answers God's question, what is your name? And he says, honestly, I'm Jacob. There is far more going on here than we first realize. It's quite possibly the very first time that Jacob is being honest with himself and with God. He's saying, yes, I'm the deceiver. I'm the liar. I will own up to this. I have lived this my whole life. I've cheated. I've run away. I've cheated again. I wonder if the physical wrestling match he is having with God is just an expression of the much deeper wrestling match he has been having with God and with himself his whole life. Jacob has to face the facts of his past sin, his past story, his true self as he answers God's question. What is your name? Will he own it? Will he be honest? Will he let the real him meet the real God so that real change can take place in his life? Who am I really? What have I built my identity around? What makes me happy? Am I happy with the person I've become? Have you answered these questions in your own life? What is your name? What defines your story up to this point? Um, if we're being honest as we answer that question in the privacy of our own minds and hearts this morning, I think we would all name some strengths, some qualities that we're proud of, and we'd certainly all name some weaknesses, some habits of sin that we're not proud of. Um, and as we look through the pattern of the Bible, this is absolutely the truth for everybody, for all of us. So maybe you're a deceiver like Jacob. Or maybe you're disobedient like Eve, or maybe passive when you need to be present like Adam. Maybe you're a liar when it's time to save your own skin like Abraham. Maybe you're a drunk like Noah. Maybe you're an adulterer like David. Maybe you carry racist thoughts in your heart like Jonah. Maybe you're filled with anger like Paul. Maybe your uh, uncontrolled tongue is constantly getting you in trouble like Peter. I don't know if it's encouraging or discouraging that the Bible is filled with names, that the people of God are just filled with names that have these pasts that haunt them. In some ways, it's disappointing. It's like, man, if we can't get any examples in this book, where are we going to go for any advice? But in other ways, it's very encouraging because the Bible is not a book of heroes to emulate. The Bible is a book of people who are all like us clinging to the promises of grace found in Jesus Christ as their only hope. None of us can stand alone on our own name, on our own story. And the Bible points us to Christ again and again and to the name that only he can give. What name do you have to own up to God this morning? The question isn't whether we're carrying habits of sin in our hearts and living habits of sin in our lives, we are all doing that. The question is, do we know ourselves well enough to bring our real selves before the real God so real change can happen? Jacob wasn't willing to do this for so long, but when he finally was, everything changed. So the, the comedian Chris Rock has this great line. He says, when you meet somebody for the first time, you're not meeting them. You don't meet them. You meet their representative. 
right? When you meet me for the first time, you don't meet me. You meet my PR guy. You meet my hype man. You meet my agent. You, you meet, you know, the front I put up for the world. You don't meet me. You meet um, my representative. But if we want any real change to happen in our life, if we have any hope of actual transformation, any healing, we need to let God past our representative, past our hype guy, and let the real us meet the real God. Here's the thing. Here's the point of this whole passage, the point of owning up to our failures. When that happens, the real you meets the real God, your life really can change. It, God really does bring healing and hope to any situation. Jacob comes clean before himself and God for the first time. I'm Jacob. I'm Jacob. And everything that means, and all the, the shame I've carried for that name, all the ways I've tried to run from it my whole life, I'm Jacob. It's the truth. It's who I am. He answers God's question honestly, and then immediately God re-answers the question for him transformationally and graciously. Whatever you bring before God, no matter how you answer that question, what is your name? What is your past? It's only the first answer to the question. There is a second answer waiting for you and available for you in Christ. Let me read the verses again. Verse 27. God said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And then he blessed him. This is the moment in history where God adopts a whole nation as his chosen beloved son. Until now, God had dealt with just a couple of families and made great promises to them, but now he renames Jacob Israel and he pours his covenant promises, he pours his love and his certain salvation into his family forever. God gives him a new name, but with it comes a whole new identity and a whole new story, and a whole new trajectory for his life. Because of his new name, Jacob will not be defined by his past anymore. He's now defined by his future. Imagine what that would be like for you. The most important things that happen to you have not already happened to you, but will happen to you as you walk through life with Christ. There's power there. Jacob, because of this new name, he will not be defined by his sin, by his deception, but by God's care and commitment to him forever. The deepest, truest thing about him, the foundation of who he is, is no longer deceiver, no longer broken, but redeemed, healed, loved. There's power there. Throughout the Bible, the name Israel becomes synonymous with God's unique, special unbreakable love and commitment to his people. So, so in Exodus 4, when God's people are in slavery, God tells Moses to say this, say this to Pharaoh, say this to your slaveholder. Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. God's first son will not remain in slavery. I will redeem my people. Or, or listen to Isaiah 43. Um, it's such a great passage. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, he uses both names. Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name and you're mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. 
When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you're precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, fear not, I am with you. If you can hear those words this morning as the certain promise from a God who has renamed you as his child, there is incredible power for healing and hope and a new story and a new trajectory for your life. I don't know what you've been called in your life, what names you've been called, what identities have been put on you by other people or by yourself, whether uh, they're true or false. I don't know what name burdens you carry with you this morning, but imagine the power of no longer being called cheater and liar when people meet you, but being renamed, redeemed, precious, honored, beloved. His name had a past and a history, but God gave him a new name and a new future and an eternal story of love, and God can and will do the very same thing for you if you call on Christ in faith. When the real you meets the real God, real change happens. 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. You are God's adopted son and daughter, his child, his first love, Through the sheer power of Jesus' cross and his resurrection, you are adopted into his family and you become as much a child as Christ. We're not even second children in the family. We're co-heirs with Christ, which it should blow our minds. I mean, this should blow our minds. And that news, that gift, that name can change your life. When Jacob leaves this encounter with God, he's a new man. He steps into the new day not with a strut anymore, okay? Not with his representative leading the way, his PR guy, right? His agent out front. He doesn't walk away from this encounter with God with a strut, but what? With a limp. God humbles him. He's injured him enough to also lift him up at the same time. In his humility, God lifts him up and changes his life. He's finally comfortable in his own skin. He's no longer defined by his parents, his peers. He is not what other people call him. He is now what God calls him. He's not defined by his past. God's given him a new name. And Jacob's life, Israel's life, almost immediately begins to change. He starts living into and living up to his new name. He now has the courage to meet his brother Esau in the kind of humility he never had before, but the kind of humility that leads to reconciliation. And an encounter that he feared his whole life would end in murder actually ends in an embrace of love. He and his brother reconcile and are are reunited. God freed Jacob to be who he was created to be, not defined by his sin, but defined by the unique, unbreakable love and presence of God in his life. So as we close, hear God's question for you again this morning. What is your name? Up till now, what what has defined your life? What what do people think of when they hear your name? The good, but also the bad. Have you wrestled through your past with God yet? I mean, have you and God gone to the mat 
Have you come away a little limpy? Have you been humbled because you've wrestled through your past identity with God? That guilt you think defines you, that shame you think defines you, even the success you think defines you. Have you taken that to the mat yet with God? God will give you a new name. God will pour his grace out upon you. Um, a door has been thrown wide open back into the family of God. God will place his name upon you, the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. And like a parent naming his child, when he names you, it's not random. It's not from a list of 64 weird names his buddies came up with. When God names you, he gives you a destiny with that name. He, he names you with a trajectory. He names you with the end of the story in mind, and he promises, I'm giving you a new name, and I will bring you up in my family so that one day you will be holy like I am holy. You will reflect the character of my family to the world, and we will live together like this forever. Jesus' perfect identity can be yours. Jesus' name can be yours. So, as we close... Trust again today the great promises that God has spoken over his family when the real you meets the real him, real hope and change is possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this great passage with Jacob. Thank you that the offer of a new name is always available to us. Whether we've believed in you for a long time and followed you all our lives, or whether we are just now today considering who you are and what you've done, this name is ours in Christ, and this new hope is ours in Christ. Help us hear it. Help us believe it. Help us trust that your great promises are real and that they can actually change our lives. Help us take great delight, Jesus, in what you have done on our behalf. We ask these things in your name. Amen.